Best Book Bits podcast brings you Mario Becker's radio show host, public speaker, intelligence mastermind, war veteran, and author of the new book, Blood Soaked Soil. Mario, thanks for being on the show. Michael, thank you very much for having me on your show. It is true privilege and uh, that introduction, it's, it's so good. I really like it. No worries. Now for my audience uh, who have never heard of you before, you uh, have one of the most unique, amazing stories I've ever heard. Um, I want to take my audience back to your younger days. So tell us a little bit about uh, where you're born, where you came from, and sort of what got you here at the moment. Well, you know, we all have the story, Michael, of our lives, particularly, you know, where we grow up and, you know, the, the two things I couldn't choose, who are my parents and the country I'm going to be born. And uh, unfortunately, either of those two is something I will recommend anybody. So, you know, I was born... I'm a senior citizen now, I need to correct myself. I'm 49. Two days ago was my birthday. I was born 49 years ago in a country called Yugoslavia. You know, that country was a very troubled country from the uh, start of Second World War. And, um, you know, there was a lot of historical facts there uh, connected with this, this country, Yugoslavia. It was always been a nationalist country, right? It was always been country between the Serbs and Croats and you know, communist versus, you know, independent state of Croatia. So like it was, it was country which I was born was a hardcore communist product. It was a country born after Second World War under the Marshal Tito. And um, growing up in communism, Tito was for us, you know, the God, literally God, you know, it was, it was a father and mother figure. Uh, he was a savior. He was a leader, you know, Whatever you whatever you find the name for something in your life, he was that for us. And then, you know, parallel with this will go Stalin, Lenin, Marx and Engels and all these things. So being born 72 in communism, which was, a, you know, in the height of the Cold War, uh, I didn't know nothing, nothing great. My parents were a typical communist product. They, worked, they both worked in a factory. They were both... Um, a peasants, you know, my parents were peasants and I wasn't embarrassed of this because, you know, when you grow up in communism, uh, the difference in society should not exist. However, there was always, you know, part of society where, the, you know, somebody who was, my school friends, for example, some of the parents were the uh, executive directors in some factory and they will have the, some privileges and leeways in society and so on. But, you know, being born by... Uh, parents were the peasants and my father was having only four grades of primary school my mom um, barely finished high school uh, my father was a hard worker but you know in hindsight you know I, I was growing up with that that idea that my father never loved me and you know later it turns that he was not a person who knows how to show the love towards me uh, my mom in 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 contrary she was a kind of person in public she was always affectionate towards me and everything else but behind the closed doors um, they were very very sadistic people uh, my father was a heavy alcoholic my mom she was a kleptomaniac a liar and growing up in society communism society doesn't expect nothing from you better than you become like your parents and that's where the society puts you in place straight away in primary school you will be nothing than except, I don't know, taxi driver, right? Or 
uh, you clean the streets those those days in communism whoever was cleaning the streets the garbage was considered the scum of the scum uh, incapable to finish the school so growing up in communism was a was a very difficult for one simple reason you you knew that you wanted something more of something but you never be able to get this and uh, for example like i remember when uh, i went in primary school in 1979 you know a year later marshall tito died and everybody was crying and you know everybody was so hysterical and i was the type of student in in my second grade i, I wasn't able to stand next to the, his picture to give the honorable guard because i was so bad student by then you know what i mean nobody wanted me and i was like you know i always wanted something more from my life and growing up in communism i was like it's it's uh, you are the child of revolution that will call us in the terms that whatever i'm enjoying now I need to repay one day in terms of serving the army two years voluntarily uh, you'll pay the taxes be grateful for the older generations and then in the mid 80s i started receiving some messages in 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 the forms of some of my friends parents that go overseas for the trips in germany or us and they start talking about these nike sneakers and you know burgers and mcdonald's and all like we were like wow you know like we were just eyes like this you couldn't believe it these things that exist that being said you're not allowed to talk about this in society because you become the capitalist and in socialism we are the better than anybody else we are better than capitalist pigs you know they're just eating and they're fat they're stupid and they don't know nothing look at you know how is uh, in 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 you know we used to be watching this the political movies you know from us look how the police bashing the uh, black people on the street you know what i mean like who look uh, burning churches and you know me being the kid who was growing up with the parents who never wanted me i was always looking for somebody to love me so when i when i was finding love of course with the troublemakers always i was always being associated with the troublemakers so when i was 12 years old you know the older guys told me he'll go screwdriver and go step this guy i said why he said because he looked at my girlfriend the way he shouldn't and i stabbed the guy twice you know i mean he's 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 his uh, ass so I've ended up in juvenile and which my parents, but that stage, you know, like, oh, we have enough of you and, you know, you are the bad person, you are a terrible person. I just want to be loved. And I do remember, you know, the, you know, I was altar boy by that stage. I have a great guy who was a priest called Mate and he was like a father figure to me. On the other side, I have my grandfather who was a second in charge of the secret intelligence branch of the communist police and he was a very well respected man and i have the fear of him all the time and i see him like i will shake it you know what i mean he knew it all my troubles he knew it all my problems and how i behave but he never punished me well my parents were uh, it's hard to explain this michael now when i'm looking uh, let's just say my child now my father will come two o'clock in the morning in my bed and punch me in the head a couple times take the chair just break on me while i'm sleeping just because he could uh, just to educate me that I become better. Um, and eventually in 1986, um, on a Christmas Eve, I do remember, my parents simply, they kicked me out. Um, they told me I need to leave the house and 
I was like, what? You know what I mean? Like it's snowing outside, it's very cold, Christmas Eve. And it used to be in my family, be run tradition, Christmas Eve or Christmas uh, Day or New Year's Eve or New Year's Day or Easter, my parents will be drunk as and they will start fighting from the early morning. And they were the type of people who will envy everybody. You know, somebody has a, some girl has a new dress or skirt. She's a slut, she's a whore. This guy has a new car. He's a mafia, he's a criminal. And my parents never had a car. I never understood why. You know why no, Michael? They were smoking six packets of cigarettes per day, right? You know, like six, seven bottles of beer per day. And, you know, that all costs money, right? And of course, you know, I was always hungry for more. So yes, I was stealing, you know, that stage, you know, from the shops and uh, breaking enter into the, 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 the you know, type of 7-Eleven shops with all, all the guys. I joined to the local boxing club where the all rough and tough guys were there. So I need to build my name. You know, I was just fighting, continuously fighting system and everything else. And eventually 86, which I said, like my parents, maybe they're right, maybe they're not. I don't want to talk in their behalf. Uh, because they are both uh, passed away a long time ago. They kicked me out on Christmas Eve. And I remember it was a <laughs> very, very cold night and uh, it was snowing. It was, it was terrible. And the, like in the movies, you see last people come out of the shops and last shops shopping. And my father was so drunk that he grabbed me for my throat and, you know, he left all this skin marks on my throat and chuckle me back and kick me out and i was thinking he's going to return me back because that was the first time he was doing sort of these things so i was standing in front of the building and on the ground floor of my building was a shop called adriana never forget and suddenly that big silhouette of the man in, in a letter coat and a you know hat appears from the dark was my grandfather um he always protected me. Uh, he always gave me shelter. Uh, and he just told me, I know everything. You come with me. And I was just finishing primary school, uh, year eight. And I said, like, I don't think so they want me back. And he told me, don't worry. <sighs> you know, because I could understand what type of parent you must be do you fucking kick your own child out you know what i mean on a cold winter night you know i can't imagine this you know what i mean like i just i can't even contemplate this to do somebody you know what i mean because in reality it's 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 your child you know what i mean and you know you need to but somehow in communism that was all approved right society will never blink the eye if let's say your parent punch in the face in front of everybody that was normal Right, that was just acceptable. Um, so eventually my grandfather took me uh, under his wing and um, he take care of my high school education. And that's a very first touch when he introduced me to some people in intelligence services as a very young. So I got I got a couple mentors of mine, which I will spend time with them learning things in... in um, not to become the spy, but how to know how the spy works, because my grandfather was uh, the guy who was catching the spies in, 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 in Socialist Federal Republic of Yugoslavia, right? 
which was a much more better. And um, life was good at the moment for me. And, you know, I was in, 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 in a great school. Uh, I will avoid to answer which one because it's very, uh, very personal, but it's related to the, uh, to the social federal system. And I've been exposed, as I said, like to intelligence services through my grandfather and that education. And eventually, you know, I found somebody, Michael, who I love, I love me. I fall in love. I fall in love with that girl. Oh. That was when you were, that was in 1990 when you were 18. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. <laughs> and there was a, you missed out a chapter. So I'm reading your book, um, Blood Soaked Soil. And it goes from when, yeah, your parents kicked you out when you were 14, your grandfather took you in. But then there was a four year gap between 14 and 18, uh, which you didn't put in the book, which was interesting. But um, yeah, continue. So 1990, you were 18, you had your first girlfriend. The reason why they put it because, uh, when I was being elected, I'll tell you what's happened. And uh, my grandfather told me, it's time to change your career. And in communism, the one of the best education you can get, it was a military school, right? Now, you don't go to military school when you're 20 years old. You go to military school when you finish primary school, age eight. You go into uh, in high school, which is military school. Then after four years of uh, high school, you're going straight away into um, academy, if you chose them, right? So what did happen? My grandfather, um, and I was best student, Michael. I was, I was, I was a terrible student. I was uh, the lowest possible C I can be, like barely C, right? Like a barely C, just to be C. Um, I didn't have qualifications to go to military school. Not, not at all. Um, my grades was terrible. Uh, I already been juvie. Um, my parents didn't want to sign for me papers to go to military school, but my grandfather, as a grandfather, he took me for the hand, he picked up the old papers and, um, I think he leveraged his position and his, um, you know, career and, uh, personal relationship and everything else. He enrolled in military school and my grandfather and I had a big disagreement. My grandfather wanted me to be, uh, uh, to finish for a Navy elect electrician, you know, all these electrical parts of the weapon systems on ships and submarines. So like you have a trade one day when you leave military, you can, um, you can be the, you know, you can work in some factory on a high position, everything else. What I did, my grandfather, he lost her, you know, he lost the shits because I think I can hide from him. I enrolled to become submariner. And why is that? Uh, because at that stage, there was a, a German show called Das Boot. And for me, that was a thrill, you know, submarine and chasing the ships and you know, everything else. But when I was enrolling, when I was, when I was enrolling in military school, uh, military naval school called Marshal Tito in Split in Croatia because Croatia was a part of six republic like Australia has a states Yugoslavia has a republics and they're like sort of similar um, um, independence like in Australia every, every republic was for themselves by responsible federal government and I was being monitored through the military and through the police and secret police levels so when I was 
arriving in the military school, I'd been approached by one of the, his buddies, and he told me, I think you'll be greatest for the counterintelligence. And again, um, when you're young and naive and stupid, you accept everything. And uh, I go into disagreement with my grandfather. And that's the, about my education in the high school. So uh, eventually, my last grade, uh, my last class of uh, high school is being converted because when I was finishing high school in 1991, 1990, there was already been sort of nationalism movement, nationalist movement in Croatia for independence. Um, my grandfather told me, why we don't parallel get you some other occupation because it looks like there will not be, you know, um, Yugoslavia anymore. And I said, what are you talking about? So the last grade of my high school, I parallel run um, as a train train driver, that would be occupation, right? Something like this, right? Similar like this, right? There was something for the trains related, you know what I mean? So I have that trade. Uh, and he was right. So 1990, I was in Zagreb. I met that girl and um, I fell in love. And what I didn't know that what it's like a movie. We were both young and very naive. So we build all these dreams, you know, we're going to marry, have a kids, the house, the rabbits, the the flowers, we're going to chase the bumbies in the forest and it's going to be honkadori and so on. And we are both witnessing something new, like uh, it was a revolution. It was, it was literally a revolution, peacefully. I witnessed that changes in, in, in government, you know, because everything was like uh, being painted in, in, in communism, everything was a red star, everything was about communism, socialism. Suddenly we have the president of Croatia, which I was like, wow, you know what I mean? We don't have the presidents of the Croatia in the social system. Um, to be elected on democratic elections, that was it, right? You know, that was, and suddenly all these people, you know, you know, cheering you know independent croatia this and that and but that stage my father remember him um he always believed in that independent croatia which turned out that everybody who was cheering you know for independence was a you know this older guys like my father was the biggest coward and i think that the courage actually skipped his generation entirely um and we were both, you know, Michael, we were both witnessing all these moments, but we were like so in love, you know what I mean? And now I was almost 18 and she was a 15, you know, like it's a, it's a gap, but it's a first kiss, you know, first sex. And, you know, like all this, you think that the world is yours. You just, I didn't saw nothing happen in front of me, um, but the world was changing like rapidly. Suddenly on TVs, you have all this, uh, dual TV, like Croatian Independent TV and, you know, other uh, socialist republics of Yugoslavia talking against Croatia, what's happening there. Uh, you, you open the, the newspapers, you know, call on arms. Uh, police was arresting, you know, everybody. Uh, the socialist police, right? And then you have the Croatian police, which was like 
Can you imagine now walking police station have the, I don't know, Victorian police, then you have the Victorian police plus, you know, I mean, like, who, who is police, right? And I didn't pay attention, Michael, what's happened, to be honest with you, because I was so much in love, and I couldn't care anymore for the military school, and for that school, actually, what my grandfather was telling me to do it, all these exams. So I lived like a sort of double life, you know, the last year of my life. I was lying to myself that everything is correct, everything is good. Till the first casualties didn't start happening. Uh, suddenly you have the barricades across the country, right? Some civilians, they put the barricades and like, what is that, you know? It was a Serbian community who didn't want to take a part of the new independent Croatia. Where they have the war in Slovenia, which very short couple days, Slovenia was straight away being excluded from Yugoslavia. So the federal army in Yugoslavia, federal Yugoslavian army, apologies, they decided to create uh, tampon zones. So Croatian police was rapidly changing. Uh, into Croatian police, socialist police was just disappearing, insignia, uniforms, anything else. It was clearly Croatian police. Uh, Attentions will start rising on a national level. Nationalism, you know, was, a, was a empowered. And that was consequently result of all these unsettled scores through the decades of existing Yugoslavia. Because Serbs and Croatians, we traditionally didn't love each other. And through generations, we've been poisoned by all of you know, our parents, grandparents, and everything else. Croatia was, you know, the part of the Axis forces in Second World War, like, you know what I mean? And Croatia sent a legion in Stalingrad, you know what I mean, to fight as a part of the 101st Jäger Division, which was, uh, you know, can you imagine in Wehrmacht, you have the uh, a legion, SS legion from Croatia volunteers, you know, fighting the Bolsheviks. So, like, all of this was caring for the decades before and somehow everything exploded, Michael. The first casualties on both sides, police force of Croatian, Croatian police force people be, will be shot. Uh, shooting was everywhere. Army barracks would start converting into the fortresses and the Yugoslav, uh, Yugoslavian army was very clever. They will build uh, all military barracks next to the hospitals, next to the schools, so in the case to be in bombardment, nobody will bombard, you know, I mean, that, that places because, you know, it's next to hospital, everything else. Well, that's changing now. Uh, so I that the things are changing so, so quickly that I was back in my city in, in Osik, uh, where I was born. And um, I saw my parents, uh, you know, Eventually, I go back in the unit because I had nowhere to leave, so I started living with them again. And, you know, it was a sort of cold relationship, right? And my parents was always, you know, drunk and, you know, I didn't let my father ever talk to me. So I keep him in a distance, you know what I mean? Leave me alone. Till the one moment, you know, everything will start happening, Michael. So everything will start happening like a speed of light. That a life I used to be know in a split second stop existing. Everything what I knew, everything what I believe, educated, it's like being cancelled, like a pencil. Yeah, I think that started for you on uh, 3rd of July 1991 at 8 p.m. when your Romeo and Juliet 
love story came to an end and um, you didn't realize that she was Serbian and you were Croatian. You had no idea what that meant. Um, yeah, I read that, read that chapter in your book, an amazing book, by the way, but uh, that's when the war really sort of kicks off. So next chapter, the world falling apart, what happened after that day? Look, when you are, you know, when you finally have that, uh, when suddenly you have the, all what you wanted is to you, have it with somebody who loves you, accept you who you are, uh, and you believe that now I finish in primary school, I'm going to go in academy or university, so-called. Um, you know, life is good to me. I I was um, I was angry because I couldn't. In 1991, there was no mobile phones. There was no <laughs> Zoom or everything was on a phone dial. Anyway, I knew that uh, girl I was in love with. She was living about 150 kilometers far away. Um, I remember the one scene that when I was coming in front of her house, eventually I come by train and bus and took a couple hours because I want to see her. I remember what her father told me that, you know, I didn't say this exactly words in my book because it's very heavy, but he told me if I have the gun, I will shoot you next to the, my, next to my uh, fence like a dog because you're Croatian. Um, And then they left, you know, my friend and I chased them, chased them, chased them because she crossed the border with the Bosnia and Serbia and everything else. Um, so when I come back home, like, it, it was so all vivid, Michael. It was all unreal, right? It's, it's you know, suddenly what you, need, you wake up in the morning and you have the desire and you have the dreams and you have the... A chest full of, of hope and happiness suddenly just somebody takes you and rip you out this just because of different nationalities and i can't blame her she was young she was 15 years old and you know she can't decision for she couldn't make a decision for her on her own um her parents took her away from me and you know i spent that night drinking and fighting all night uh, as a as a you know as, a, as everybody should you know i mean that age you know just for me, that world was like going to end. What I didn't want to believe that would, that was the last time I will see her, Michael. And for me, I was under impression that something was coming to me, and I was not far away from this because following day, literally, world it comes to the end. Talk about the um, the knock at the door that you got about uh, getting dragged to the army barracks. I knew that I need to be reporting in September to the to the unit. I knew that's a fact. I need to go continue education. But the interesting enough, you know, Caesar said something very interesting. I love betrayals. I hate traitors. And that morning. I find out what the betrayal it is, ultimate betrayal. So like, as I say, I was all night drinking and fighting and my, my hands was all full of the blood and, you know, I was all 
distorted, you know, I mean, I was, my face was like, you know, after all night drinking and fighting and who knows what I was doing, I can't remember. I wake up in the morning because somebody was knocking on my door so vigorously, you know, so aggressively. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? You know what I mean? Anyway, you know, as I was walking to bedroom unit, it was a summer. I knew my parents were on a holiday, but I didn't pay attention. Maybe they sit in the kitchen, you know, because of layout. I was walking from bedroom next to the entry to the, to the, to the unit, first door. And there were that uh, four police officers, two civilian police officers and two military police officers. And they told me, you need to report to army barracks immediately. And I was like, uh, what? I said like, you know, like I've just been lost in all this. So to that conversation, they told me, okay, we're going to pick up somebody else. We can't pick you up. And I said like, let me go in army barracks on my own. It's like a couple of bus stations. I'll be there by whatever time was. I, I forgot honestly now. But I was in shock. You know? I mean, what's going on? Because I can see that they're picking up everybody my age. Everybody who is ready for the for the combat duties. You know what I mean? Because when you're 18 years old, you know, you go and serve the Federal Army. I was having different instructions, but it was my turn as well. So... I said, like, okay, I report to Army Barracks. And then, Michael, I mean, betrayal. Betrayal, like, first, my father kicked me out when I was 14. I never forgive him this, even today. But then I was walking through the unit to try to look for my parents. And as I was walking, like, you know, everything's happening, like, simultaneously. I can see through the window the most of the car park is missing and the cars which they're still on they're still on a car in a car park people packing the cars putting the sticky tapes on the, on the windows and i was like what's going on you know what i mean what, what, what's going on? like maybe i slept you know i realized that night before was uh, was a lot of being um shooting across croatia um you know what i mean and army was being uh, attacked and i army attacked uh, police and at that stage don't forget police was the only armed force in Croatia so it was a nucleus of the armed forces today um, with the Kalashnikovs can you imagine <laughs> and I walk in the kitchen we had a, this table with the six eight HS, HS and there was a note note just one paper one fucking shitty lousy piece of paper we are okay. I mean, what the fuck is that supposed to mean? We are okay. Like, you know what I mean? Like, who, who is this okay? You know what I mean? But it also said, we are okay. Goodbye. I think it's, this, the, the message says, go fuck yourself. Do what you want with your life. We're going away anyway to save our asses. That's how I read. And uh, that's my translation of the message, Michael. Um, and again, I've been in shock because... Why would you leave your child? You know, I could never imagine you can leave on your child. You know that 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 this we call the small incidents becoming bigger and bigger and bigger, which involves now the the, the federal army. Federal army start using uh, weapons of the higher and higher caliber, and then you suddenly, you know, like you know something's happening. You see, my father has the has a fetish. 
And during the communism, he used to be being listening to Voice of America. 4.30 in the morning, he will go in the bathtub, bathtub and uh, in, a, in, in a toilet, in the bathroom, cover himself with the blankets, small radio, listen to Voice of America. Because it was forbidden to listen to these radios in, in, in communism. So maybe he heard something or something was on TV while I was out. Because don't forget, night before I was out in the city and everything was looking like ordinary, normal people are there, you know, going out and, you know, just walking down the river on a quay. Um, but when I saw that message, I realized that actually they dumped me again. But this time, it's not that they dumped me out on the street. They dumped me in the terms like, we are leaving and you go fuck yourself. You work for yourself. You're old enough because my father was, he was has this expression. When you are 18 years old, I don't need to take care for you. You know, you can care of yourself. Michael, when you're 18 years old, you're a kid. You're, you're just a fucking infant. Honestly, trust me. When I see the pictures today, when I see my son, who's now almost 19 years old, you're a baby. What do you know about life when you're 18 years old? You know something, you know, friends, some jobs, you know, try to learn accountability, responsibility. But you dump me again? I mean, hello? And I felt not just betrayed or angry, I was mad because I realized that very moment that the world Everything what I know, everything the bullshit that told me, communism, brotherhood, unity, sisterhood, one country, one big red fucking star, we're going to defeat everybody, we are the best, you know what I mean? Uh, suddenly, I'm seeing that majority, because I saw the cars on the street I told you missing, I knew which family they belong, because don't forget the communism, you couldn't get a car today, you buy a car today. People used to be pay car today, get in seven years time. So like, it was always, yeah, it's, it's reality. You know? uh, that's how it was a communism, you know what I mean? And you don't, you don't just buy car Merc, you know, there's no Mercs, man. You have a Lada, a Volga, some domestic Yugoslavian car type of brand model, whatever it is. Sometimes you'll be lucky, get something from overseas, you know, like, and I don't know how people get this one. So people used to be paying car today, they get in five, six, seven years time. You don't get a car today. It's gonna be made it for you. <laughs> and like, is this is is this normal? No, it's not normal. In Yugoslavia, that wasn't normal. And that moment I realized, Michael, that something something terrible is gonna happen. Because that was the very first time in my life I, I was I was on my own. Right? And I was afraid, you know, I was afraid. I didn't know, you know, open the fridge, there's no food, like you know, what I mean there's you know, there, there, there's nothing. The clothes is missing on my parents. And, you know, there, there's nothing in the house. And I felt very lonely, very afraid. I make myself coffee, sat on the balcony, and I watch misery unfolding in front of my eyes. Not like a today, tomorrow. Like with a, every second, I've been... Like, you know, when you unwrap the present for the Christmas... And suddenly you hear that this final ribbon you open and it just explodes in your face. Because this very next moment, my life, not just turned upside down, I witnessed that war is imminent. Destruction is here. It's going to happen. Third most powerful 
army in Europe. Yugoslav Federal Army was the third most powerful military in Europe at stage. You see the tanks, you know what I mean? From T-34, T-55, T-72, T-84, from the oldest to the uh, oldest to the uh, newest generation. I mean, army never done this to have a tanks on the street because we were being told we to protect the people. Suddenly, you see the tanks and military position, building the bunkers. You know, I mean, uh, closing the roads. At that stage, you know, the factories who supply the uh, the army barracks stopped delivering the food, so they were literally going and taking away from the factories. So. That's what's happening to me, like I'm seeing everything in this couple of hours happening. Because I was born in a small city, 100,000 people. So you know, you know you know, everything was going on in that city from the day you're born till 18. You already know what's going around you, who is doing what. And so yeah, it was, it was, it was a, just an unbelievable experience. Wow, so you were 18, parents left you, the war was starting. So what was the situation like? So you've got, um, for people that don't understand, like myself, it's, you had Croatians, Serbians, Yugoslav. We were all Yugoslav. So Yugoslavia was all Yugoslav. Nationality was not so important, and people will um, identify themselves as a Yugoslav. However, we were all giving pride, you know, like citizenship, Yugoslavian nationality, Croatian. But what it happened, you know, Croatia was having through the decades a lot of um, first uh, people with a who are the Serbians by background, right? Orthodox by religion and Serbian uh, families and everything else. Then you have the second tier, which was even uh, more painful to see. We call the mixed marriages, right? So Croatians was married with the Serbs. And this is where the division started as well, right? You know what I mean? Are you with me or are you against me? So the families were splitting up. So what happened? Uh, Serbia, Serbian population in Croatia declared their independence in Croatia. <laughs> so they established their own entity, like a state, within state. And, you know, it, it, how this works, you know, I mean, like I go into, I don't know, in, uh, in, uh, in, in Melbourne, I say like, I'm going to take it part of the, of the Western Victoria, it's a state of Mario Beckers, right? Because many Beckers are living here. Now, as I said, like, you need to go decades back, you know what I mean? In the First World War, and the interim between the two wars, uh, it's, 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 it's very mixed things happened um, to us. And that is that communism was not allowing nationalism. Communist society and communist state will break it down any type of nationalism, Croatian Serbian. And what it happened, we, they couldn't fight in, in Yugoslavia, so dissidence was going, you know, I mean, it was a creation of the dissidents overseas. So a lot of people will flee out, uh, uh, Yugoslavia and establish themselves Croatian clubs, Serbian clubs. So they will fight themselves in Australia, in Germany, in Austria, it was always these tensions, right? And, you know, suddenly that, independent some type of entity they created Serbian. It was like a territory, independent territory of Serbs. And they asked the federal army to be the tampon zone. Now, that was almost one third of Croatia 
at that stage has been occupied by 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 Serbs, uh, Croatians that left, you know, the villages and the city, small cities, fleeing into the interior of Croatia where the majority of Croatians lives. And the federal army was that one who was become like a tampon zone. And Michael, you don't need a lot. One bullet leads to the two bullets, two bullets leads to 2,000 bullets, and suddenly you had a full-blown war. I don't remember. By end of July, there was already some type of the front lines already being established because we were trying to protect, you know, our territory and re uh, recover what has been taken away from Croatia, you know what I mean, by, uh, by Federal Army and... Uh, they call them territorial defense and they call them, you know, Serbian army or whatever they call them. You know, I mean, like they have so many names um, and they wanted to be the part of the Serbia, of the Serbia as a republic and then later state. And of course, full bomb war started happening by mid-July to end of July. You already have the, you know, uh, artillery shelling of the cities uh, you know I, I must say this I can't defend nobody or blame somebody but I know one thing we had the Kalashnikovs and we improvised the weaponry type of weapon systems because Yugoslavia on paper was still exist and federal government and federal army was controlling import and export of weapons so like we couldn't resist you know something big so what we opted it's actually gave that this guerrilla type of warfare particularly urban guerrilla warfare, and we start assaulting uh, smaller army barracks with a bigger force, and we'll start getting the more weapons. At that stage, good portion of the federal army consists from the conscripts and part of reserve, uh, reservists, which are coming from Bosnia, Serbia, Montenegro, Macedonia, Kosovo, and all these parts. But that was a change very quickly. The army equipment, he started being turning the federal army started turning their barrels towards the Croatian cities, Croatian uh, police and anything else. And we start losing the war. So like it was a was a very quick, fast moving war in terms that we fought for the villages. You know, mostly it was the villages, mountains, all of these things. So like, you know, tanks were very great weapon um, airplanes as well but you need to have infantry to conquer the, the territory and that's where the, our strengths were very strong and one thing I didn't like it during the war and I always said to this when somebody asked me the fear of war does not exist I always say the fear of the sound because when you know when you are holding some position and something's happening, Michael, I can't even explain. Imagine, imagine summer, you're expecting everything is blooming, it's green, it's smelly, it's beautiful. Michael, everything's gray. I don't know why. Everything's become gray. And when you're going into, into, into some type of the shift let's go say we will replace some units you know what i mean they will go recuperate and we replace them for a couple of days and that's how we go like it was a, a like very fast moving war 
because the uh, lines were changing from time to time but not uh, uh, not on daily basis but on hourly basis you know some villages could be exchange your hands a couple times per day and then you come in a city or some position and that's where you learn what a terror it is when you see thousand little lights in sunsets filling the horizon and that's a light then suddenly you can hear like like a drums of the like a Jericho trumpet like you know what I mean like and then the next thing it's again sound you know so you can see you can witness destruction of the weapon we created humans when you see the houses disappearing of the of the one hit and for me it was that sound was most frightening it was very too quiet I knew something's coming or the sound of artillery because eventually you can't hide you know what I mean you can't hide and when you're 18 years old you don't know how to react because nobody can prepare you on a nobody can prepare you on a war it doesn't matter how much training you have nobody can prepare you on a destruction and we were Michael people who love the country want to defend the country so we used every possible skill we had on our disposal or we learned sharing amongst each other improvising adjusting and try to make it as best possible to survive at the fight and that was our biggest uh, advantage over the enemy enemy was overconfident has all these weapons and that's like you know previously as I explained in my book when you waiting in ambush your enemy and your enemy comes with uh, all these armored vehicles tanks uh, you know the, the, the armored personnel carriers everything else and they're rolling main street so confident michael without infantry we realize very quickly hit the first vehicle last vehicle that's it that was okay sometimes but i have experiences many times when you know one of these experiences was when i was in one of the houses on the first floor tank parked almost like literally inside a house which is not true but maybe 20 meters but hits the ground floor hits the second floor we collapse down you know what do you think how i felt it i mean you know war is not joke anymore this is not rumble movies that's that's what i believe it was a rumble movie it was no Rambo movie. It's not Chuck Norris, One Man Army. No. Well, I just want to pause and, and sort of recap on what you've discussed so far. But I think what you just said then was, you know, military manuals are all well and good until someone fires the first bullet, uh, which is a, which is a quote for your book. But for those listening that don't know Mario's story, it has been a bit of a slow podcast because we're just building up to the start of something where Mario experienced after this day one. 1,852 consecutive days in combat, risking his life on a daily basis. So this is going to be a part one of a multiple part series podcast. We'll continue with the podcast, but I just want to let people know that, yeah, this is going to be a multiple podcast because we are not Joe Rogan. We're, we're not going to do a, a three to four hour podcast. Uh, multi Mario is going to be on the show um, quite a number of times to, to go over this 
uh, book. He's the real-life Jocko Wilnick fighting for his own country, not in someone else's country. Um, no disrespect to Jocko, but yeah, Mario, if you want to continue a little bit um, and we can talk about uh, the first couple of weeks that, that started with the war. So, you know, when we spoke about 13th of July, 14th of July, what I find out, it's very quickly, you need to choose the, what you want to go do with your life that morning, as I said. And uh, even I went in army barracks. Uh, circumstances were so fortunate for me that uh, I've been sent out to buy the smokes for the colonel. And um, I was being told outside of the army barracks because army barracks has been blockaded by the Croatian police. It's time for you to choose the sides. And I said, like, <laughs> you know, Michael, what side I can choose, you know what I mean? Of course, I'm going to choose my country. But Michael, at that very moment, I realized that I'm doing the choice, which is literally life and death. And you can have a desire, have the weapons in your hands and shoot. And everything is beautiful when you're shooting in a bricks or, you know, trees or cans. But I very quickly learned that weapons I'm using, they're going to use against me as well. So following day on the 5th of July, I was already being on a bus from the police station in Osijek for seven day train for the, they were called the special police. And it was a country police. It was a crash course. You need to have some military experience. And we were learning very quickly, uh, counterterrorism um, uh, uh, combat, which I didn't understand why counterterrorism combat. But then later on, I realized that, you know, that my task is not just sitting in, in, in fight, but go a little bit beyond the lines with a different group of people. And seven days after training, I was thrown into first fight. And Michael, if I say to you, I was not afraid, I'll lie to you. I was afraid because that was the very first time I saw the dead bodies around me when I gone to the front line. And I decided myself, this is the last time I ever beg somebody to love me, like my parents or anybody else in my life. I knew that I need to take care of my, my very ill grandfather. And uh, because he was diabetic and he, you know, I felt betrayed by my parents, but my parents, my mom betrayed her father. He, she left him, right? You know what I mean? He was ill and I'll need to care, take care of him as well during the war. And Michael, the difficulty is me look after my grandfather. My grandfather was a part of communist system and people knew it who was. So he, he, he never slept in. I mean, he was always afraid that someone's going to come and kill him. So can you imagine me being 18 years old, ready to go into combat and telling the people, this is my grandfather. So I was being put under such a dress to prove myself that I'm worthy that my grandfather live another day. So I had an extreme job in front of me because it was not just a war against the enemy, it was a war enemy within enemy, you know what I mean? Society within society, those divisions, because people now have the opportunity to take it, settle the scores from communism. And my grandfather was at that one representing everything evil. 
And that was it, you know what I mean? That was 20th or 22nd of July. I was already being in combat and I start realizing that every single day I'm going ahead and this life is going to be worst. Uh, even they told us it's going to be better, war is going to finish and, you know, everything's going to come back to normal and with every day we progressed, it was a worst every single moment. And being like almost 19 years old, all I just wanted to, you know, just wanted to believe alive, to live and be alive and enjoy everything. And then I witnessed it through my personal account, seeing people disappearing. Yeah, and you write in the book, there's uh, no manual that can prepare you for such atrocities against your own kind. Fast forward now to where we are in the in the current world. I mean, we're not we're only talking 30 years ago. We're not talking 60, 70 years ago. You're, you're talking about something you've experienced only 30 years ago, which is not a, a long time if you think about it. I think we'll wrap up the the start of the podcast here, but we're definitely going to have multiple parts and, and get you back on to to go through the the other chapters through the book. For my audience out there, if you don't know who Mario Beckers is, I'll just recap again. Radio show host. We'll talk about your successful business insight intelligence group as well. And, you know, you're involved in in foundations with the homeless in, in Sydney, Australia as well, and. This is this will be your fourth book. Got a lot of knowledge, a lot of wisdom, but an unbelievable, unique story as a war veteran and, and doing 1,852 consecutive days. So, Mario, I want to thank you for coming on the Best Book Bids podcast for part one. My audience, stay tuned for part two. And while you wait, go out there and purchase the book, Blood Soaked Soil. Mario, where can my audience sort of follow you at the moment and get a copy of your book as well? Look, it's the best thing. It's come to my website, mariobeckers.com.au. There's all links on my social media platforms, uh, Instagram, LinkedIn. Uh, the best part for listeners in Australia, it's uh, booktopia.com.au, as well as the Bloodsock Soil uh, by me, Mario Beckers, or the Amazon, same thing, uh, Bloodsock Soil by, by Mario Beckers. But it's like everything is on my website, mariobeckers.com.au. That's the best part to, you know, visit that website and you know everything is there and for my audience as well Murray is also a radio show host on a live 90.5 fm business insights so mario is a businessman and has a lot of insights in the business world so if you want to change tunes and don't want to just hear about his war story follow this intelligent man on 90.5 fm in sydney mario thanks for being on the show and we'll get you back on really soon to go through part two of the book blood soaked soil thank you michael thank you so much Thanks, Mario. Speak to you soon. Thank you. Thanks.